0: He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges, and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 3 Secret Identity Clark walked out of the Crystal Palace and into the world. Emblazoned with his family crest and his cape billowing in the wind, he emerged with a new sense of ability coursing through him. Clark considered the journey ahead and realized perhaps walking wasn't his only option. Just as he had leapt high into the air to avoid the avalanche that he had caused when he arrived at the Crystal Palace, Clark sprung into the sky again, but this time he aimed himself southward, back in the direction he had come his leap took him higher in the sky than before, giving him a faster descent. Showing none of the grace of his previous jump, Clark hit the ground leaving a crater as he landed. His crash landing in the icy landscape gave him little pause. He leapt again, higher still, and landed with almost as much impact as the last jump. In a series of leaps and bounds, Clark continued past the Arctic and through the tundra. He improved his technique with each attempt until he could land as softly as a sparrow. From the apex of his jump, he began to see he was approaching a road. Clark thought it best he changed back into his normal clothes. He hoped to get a ride from a passing vehicle. After walking the road for hours, it became apparent to Clark that only large shipping trucks drove this route. Yet, with time, patience, and some luck, despite Clark's dirty overalls, a large truck eventually pulled over to offer him a lift. In the rush of excitement, he almost sprinted to the cab of the truck but dialed himself down and made sure to jog at a normal human speed. Getting to the door, Clark took a deep breath to calm his nerves. With a smooth, confident motion, he put his foot on the step, took a hold of the door handle, and all at once opened the door and climbed into the passenger seat, all without ripping the door off the truck or damaging it in any way. Clark had never been more proud of himself. With a foolish grin spread wide across his face, he pulled the door closed behind him. Howdy. Thanks for the ride. My name's Clark. Clark Kent. Well, howdy, Clark Kent. I'm Clyde, and this here beautiful truck is Becca. Welcome aboard. Clyde jumped straight to chit-chat, clearly eager for some company to talk to. He asked Clark what led him down a remote road through the wilderness, but didn't press for details when Clark's story lacked them. In the grand scope of things, it wasn't an issue. Clark didn't have much to say, and Clyde never seemed short for words. More than anything else, Clark was happy for the company. Simply being treated like a normal human was an unusual pleasure. Clyde, with his hat decorated in fishing lures and wearing a yellow ducky bandana tied under his scruffy chin, probably wasn't the spitting image of normalcy. But he spoke to Clark like anyone else. It was all Clark had ever hoped for. After a long while, Clyde informed him that it was time he got himself some sleep.
1: So unless you happen to know how to drive a rig, you're gonna have to sleep in that there seat cause I only got one bunk and it's only big enough for one of us.
0: By this point in the drive, while Clyde had been rambling on, Clark had discovered his abilities to observe and process details had somehow been heightened by his experience in the Crystal Palace. While he was listening to Clyde's stories, he simultaneously was able to pick up on all Clyde was doing to drive the truck. Actually, I do know how to drive one of these.
1: Really? Well then, Bubba, That changes everything! Just follow this here GPS map and call me if you have any trouble." With no
0: further bother, Clyde pulled over, climbed into his bunk compartment, and left Clark to drive Becca on his own. The two of them kept up this routine for a few weeks. Clark drove at night and pretended to sleep a little each day. While on the road, through casual conversation, Clark learned he had slept for months in the Crystal Palace. It hadn't occurred to him that he could sleep for so long. He had practically hibernated for half the year, in both the months leading into winter and the months leading out. After all that sleep, he wasn't at all too tired for a long while. One night, while Clyde rested, traffic came to a stop. There appeared to be an accident ahead, far up the road. From the sounds Clark could hear in the distance, someone was hurting and scared. Quickly, he got out of the truck and leapt into the sky landing in all his radiant glory next to a car, overturned and burning. With the smell of gasoline in the air, he urged everyone nearby to get away. Ripping the vehicle open, he helped the driver out from the wreckage just before it exploded. Satisfied that everyone was okay and able to hear an ambulance was on its way, Clark leapt back into the sky he had come from. Landing on the side of the road, next to the truck and once again dressed in his normal attire, he climbed back into the cab and started driving when traffic resumed moving. Clyde slept through the whole event. Clark didn't know it, but the story ran for weeks in tabloid newspapers. Headlines read, Angel from Heaven Saves Woman from Wreckage. This all happened again in some manner or another several times along their travels, leaving a trail of tabloid headlines wherever they went. When Clyde's route eventually brought them near Smallville, Clark thanked him for the ride and said goodbye. Clyde offered a colorful farewell.
1: Well, Clark Kent, you make a good seat cover but we all got a home 20 eventually. Next time you pull a wagon, holler at me on Sesame Street." Clyde and
0: Becca continued down the highway while Clark took the rest of the trip by foot. The smell of early summer in Kansas greeted Clark as he made his way down the road. After only a few minutes of walking, a car pulled over ahead of him, and the familiar face of Pete Ross climbed out of the driver's seat. Clark Kent, is that you? Clark lit up to see his friend and as naturally as he had climbed into the truck, he greeted Pete with a jovial hug. Pete was slightly surprised by Clark's newfound warmth. You look great for someone that appears to have crawled out of a hole in the wild. What did you do? Did you find yourself on some kind of vision quest? Something like that. What
1: are you doing all the way out here? Is this your car? Yeah, it is. I got a job in the city last summer, and now I get to start saving up for car repairs.
0: Sounds rough. Is it running well enough to get me to my house? Uh, I don't need to open up the car door for you, do I? Pete was not used to Clark getting rides from anyone. He usually just walked when Martha and Jonathan didn't drive him. Clark dismissed the suggestion with a wave of his hand. Nah, I'm over that, thanks. The two boys got in the car and drove Clark home to his family. Clark's return after a year away was a relief for the Kents. They had no fear of Clark getting hurt in any way but they were worried for him. They didn't know how long he would be gone or what he would face, and they certainly never expected he would be so transformed by his experience. He returned the same Clark Kent they had always known, only now he was able to act from his kindness. He could do simple things like help Martha wash the dishes or help Jonathan around the farm, all without them worrying about him breaking everything. Clark told them all about his journey, how he met the holograms of his birth parents and how he came upon his newfound ability to control his powers. They spent a comically long time encouraging Clark to change back and forth from his radiant form to his normal clothes, like children toggling a light switch. The whole Kent family were brought to tears of laughter by this new ability of Clark's. Throughout the summer and well through autumn, Clark did all he could to connect with his family and the people he knew in town. On weekends, Pete began teaching him how to fish, and the rest of the week, Clark volunteered at the old folks' home and at the Smallville branch of the county library. The librarian, Mrs. Siegel, was reluctant when he first volunteered. She remembered that Clark, as a child, showed no interest in books. In her mind, a disinterest in books was an indicator of poor moral fiber. She found her theory was soon proven wrong, and eventually could not stop raving about Clark Kent.
1: In all my days, I have never seen anyone sort and file so many books with such ease and grace. Having you around is like being on vacation, Clark. Oh shucks,
0: Mrs. Siegel. I'm just trying to do my best. I'm happy to help.
1: Well, while you're so busy helping, I hope you don't miss the Harvest Ball in the community center this weekend. Clark was reluctant to go to the ball. Never having attended it before, the thought of going made him
0: nervous. When the night came, he forced himself to at least stop by and chat, rationalizing he still needed the practice. Mrs. Siegel was there, eager to tell anyone who would listen about her handsome young volunteer. He made a little small talk, but decided to leave early before the dancing got started. Despite his efforts to socialize, Clark had not seen Lana since his return. She'd gone off to college the previous year and only visited her parents briefly before going traveling for the summer. Only a couple of weeks later, Clark returned from his journey missing her altogether. Wanting to share his incredible changes with his childhood friend, he decided to write her a letter. Clark had never written a letter by hand before, yet this seemed like an occasion worth trying. In the past, his uncontrollable strength prevented the possibility. Setting out in his first effort to write with a pen, Clark was sorely optimistic. For all of his strength and ability, his handwriting was still that of a child's, yet there was so much he wanted to say to Lana. Too much had happened for him to know where to begin, so he started by wishing her well, sharing some of what he had learned about himself and concluded by letting her know that he was back in Smallville. By the time he finished writing the short letter, his handwriting was already improving. A new passion had sparked inside of him along the way. Clark started writing for pleasure. He wrote with the uncanny speed you would expect from only him, filling volumes of journals in a matter of days. Soon, his handwriting became a smooth and graceful longhand script. Clark drafted letters and sent them to various newspapers and magazines. He wrote about the challenges the homeless faced each day the wonder of canada's wilderness and the quirky culture of roadside rest stops by winter a few of his stories had been published the holidays at the kent household were festive like never before clark could see a renewed hope in martha and jonathan growing up he had never realized how much burden they carried without it clark began to truly get to know them anew christmas had always been a special celebration in the kent household Having found Clark as a baby in early December, they always included his birthday as a part of the extended holidays. Though this year, it was truly a celebration. Clyde had sent Clark a little money as thanks for driving with him. Using that, Clark bought presents for Jonathan, Martha, and Pete. They all spent the day, warm by the fire, amply stocked with the wood Clark had split. Days after Christmas, a letter finally came for Clark from Lana. Due to bad weather, She had not been back for the holiday. She expressed her pride in Clark for all he had accomplished, especially the letter he had sent her. She told him how much she enjoyed college and how she was making new friends. She urged him to do the same. Don't
1: stay in Smallville, Clark. You are too great and too incredible to stay in Smallville. Go somewhere big, Clark. Go somewhere amazing. Clark wasn't so sure
0: how to take Londa's advice until he saw there was a second letter addressed to him. It was from a newspaper in Metropolis. They were offering him an internship at the Daily Planet. At first, neither Jonathan nor Martha took the news with enthusiasm. Yet surprisingly, Martha was the first to start encouraging it. Clearly, this was something
1: she'd given quite a bit of thought to. Well, first of all, you'll have to be sure no one sees you transform, obviously. And always be sure not to transform in the same place too much. You don't want anyone piecing together who you are. You'll need to keep a secret identity. Otherwise people aren't going to leave you alone a single second always asking you to be their angel." This was far more than Clark had yet considered. Secret identity? Well, of course, you're going to want to have your privacy. Martha cocked her head to one side, scrutinizing Clark. You know, you would look quite handsome in a pair of glasses. You can wear them to your first day at your new job. This idea sounded a bit silly to Clark. It's an internship. Whatever it is, you don't want anyone thinking you're the angel from the newspapers. Now, Martha, Jonathan sat
0: up, straightening his glasses. Who was saying he wants to start being an angel? You heard what his father in the Crystal Palace was saying? Clark can't just save people into being peaceful. Martha disagreed.
1: We can't expect the boy to keep hiding who he really is. He's a shining, brilliant, radiant boy.
0: Jonathan chuckled okay okay martha now now no need to call him
1: a boy he's a man now i'm just saying he's more than a man jonathan he's a superman and we gotta let him be who he is
0: jonathan didn't give any more arguments after that the conversation turned to planning and logistics the three of them put together a plan to help clark move to the city for his new job he didn't own much and tackling didn't need to eat much either Taking all of his needs into account in relation to his budget, they found Clark the very smallest, most affordable studio apartment in the city. A week later, Clark was aboard a high-speed train to Metropolis. His luggage was light, packed entirely with a new wardrobe, mostly made up of work suits and ties. It especially didn't include one single pair of overalls. Clark was planning on making a fresh start. He had followed Martha's advice about the glasses. They would make the perfect disguise. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Sinevelle is written and produced by myself. I hope you're enjoying the show. It means so much to me. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC Comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, with additional contributions by Bill Finger and John Sakella. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Vortex, Poddington Bear, Jack Anderton, Silva de Allegra, Chad Crouch, Kai Engel, David Hillowitz and Jazar. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of Omen Quest cards at omenquestcards.com. Storytelling games with no way to lose. And be sure to listen to the next episode, Chapter 4, The City of Tomorrow.